0: Well, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed our journey through the Book of Hebrews. As with any journey, though, I'm also happy to see the finish line. Today, we'll close out this series, and um, we'll go through verses 18 through 29. If you want to start looking at, of chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29 even though these verses don't come at the very end of the book we've covered some of the end already and i do believe that they represent the grand finality finale the real climax of hebrews from these words we're going to find a powerful summary of the key truths we've learned over the last several months in fact the thesis of our text today doubles as a summary statement of the entire book and here it is simple and true in christ we have a better way to know God. Now, in my own Bible study, when I simply read through the text we are studying today, I tend to imagine a rumbling in the background. Yes, the Scripture we will study today reads like the script of an epic movie trailer, and I can almost hear sustained, ominous music playing loudly while The voiceover guy says something like this, in a world where people who tried to approach God drop dead, and that'd be the first part, (laughs) but then at about verse 22, the music changes to something peaceful. And you can almost hear a stream of water flowing in the background as the voiceover becomes more gentle, speaking of the good news that now, like never before, people may boldly draw near to God through Jesus who died in their place. This is the better way outlined in Hebrews, but then yet again... (laughs) The mood shifts in verse 25, and the timpani begin to roll, and the horns blast some low pentatonic melody, maybe, da-da-da, dum-dum-dum. And now we hear a more ominous voice speaking again with thunder and lightning flashing across the screen while an earthquake splits the ground as the voiceover guy thunders out. A final warning to those who would reject Jesus, which is followed by sudden silence and a dark screen. Okay, that's just, that's just how powerful and dramatic are these words we are about to read. Notice as we read that here at the end of the book, the inspired author looks back for a moment to how it used to be. To how it was during the time of the old covenant before Jesus. And specifically, here he's pointing back to the receiving of the law of God through Moses at Mount Sinai. And he writes from verse 18 of chapter 12 For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and to gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. And here's where the music becomes peaceful and the voice becomes sweet. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And here again, the music builds, and a voice thunders forth. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, in other words, one last time. Denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> I say again, in Christ we have a better way to know God. This is the primary message of today's text, and it is bookended with descriptions of what it was like before Christ and what it will be like at the end for those who reject Christ. But don't miss that this message about a better way to know God really has been the underlying theme of 20 sermons now from Hebrews. So I must ask you have you heard the voice of God? Have you listened to Him who is speaking? Has he called out to you? Has the Holy Spirit said, the old ways are gone, empty religion is dead, now you can know me personally by grace through faith in my son, Jesus Christ. Yes, now you can walk with me through this life and you can have full assurance that you will live in my heavenly home with me forever. Have you heard him say that? Has there ever been a moment when you have heard the spiritual voice of God? I hope so, because he has certainly been speaking. Here in this passage, again, we see the contrast between the old way and the new way, the old covenant and the new covenant, or in one manner of thinking, we see the difference between relatively ineffective religious practice, never designed to save souls, versus a powerful, personal, and eternal relationship with Yahweh God. What bridges such a divide? The blood-soaked cross of Jesus Christ, the mediator of God's new covenant with those who respond to his invitation. In our text, descriptions of the old way and the new way are set apart with the phrases, you have not come, and but you have come. Can you see that there in the text? I've underlined these phrases in your listening guide so you can see how they separate the old from the new. The old way is described in verses 18 through 21, while the new way is summarized in verses 22 and following. I want you to see the contrast between these two ways to relate to a holy God. So, as an overview, overview, I've divided these into columns. Look to the screen. Hopefully you can read it. And notice with me several um, implied and spoken differences between the old way and the new way. The old way set apart by, you have not come to this. And the new way set apart by, but you have come to this. In the old way, we had momentary mountaintops, verse 18. In the new way, we have heavenly citizenship, verse 22. In the old way, we had darkness, gloom, and whirlwind. In the new way, we have peace with God through Jesus In the old way, we had painful sounds, verse 19. In the new way, we have songs of angels, verse 22. In the old way, we have terrible fear and death, verses 20 through 21. In the new way, we have reverential awe and eternal life, verse 28. In the old way, we had repeated sacrifices, verse 24. In the new way, we have one finished sacrifice, also verse 24. In the old way, we had prophets' voices, verse 25. And in the new way, we have God's voice, the Holy Spirit, verse 25. Promises made versus promises kept. We have, in the old way, a fire that burns you. In the new way, a fire that purifies you. This is not intended to be an in-depth explanation or exposition of these verses, but should serve as a bird's-eye view of the passage and really of this book of Hebrews. A better way. Let's look more closely now at our text. Draw out four truth statements about the better relationship with God that is now available through Christ. First, a better relationship with God happens everywhere. My mom's dad, who I called Gramps, was a fiery red-headed preacher. And I can remember her saying that he had a sermon wherein he would contrast the two mountains mentioned here in our text. The tale of two mountains, you might have called it. And that's really what we have here. If you look at verse 18, you will read about a mountain that can be touched. That is a real physical place called Mount Sinai. This is the place where Moses and the children of Israel received the law of God. And then if you look at verse 22, you'll read about Mount Zion. And here it becomes clear that we are not reading about a physical and therefore temporary place but rather the heavenly kingdom our eternal home a city not made with hands let's read about these two mountains once more first mount sinai where moses received the law while the israelites camped below from verse 18 for you've not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire into darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged no further word be spoken to them That's the first mount. And then about Mount Zion from verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Remember that place that we studied about in uh, chapter 11, and Abraham was searching for it, and that's how he lived his life, looking for the city that God had built. Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I can't take time to dig deep into those verses, but suffice it to say that the first mountain is a reference to the period when God's people received His law, which basically embodied the old way of relating to God. The second mountain is a reference to the new way of knowing God through Christ, received by those referred to as His church. And this new way includes the promise of a heavenly home. Notice also in the last part of verse 23 that people from ancient times, even before Christ, Uh, before Christ came those who actually had true faith during the time of the first mountain and also included now are also included now in the church they're included there and even in this text they're included where it says this they're the spirits of the righteous made perfect remember the roll call of faith that's what we're talking about here this would include all those who like Abraham were justified not actually by keeping the law but by faith in God's salvation to come Hopefully, you can at least generally remember our discussion on the Old Testament faithful from chapters 11 and 12. Now, before I lose you in the details, I want to focus in on the idea that in the old way, knowing God was much more of a limited temporal and local proposition. This is communicated in the idea of the mountain that could be touched, which is to say the old way was less than in some sense. Remember, at that point, God was focused on a certain relatively small group of people were to live in a tiny area known as the promised land, and they were bound to a very localized place of worship, which eventually became the temple, an actual building placed ever so finitely within the literal city of Jerusalem. Hopefully you can see that all of this was quite narrow compared to what we have available to us today. In the heavenly city of christ i think this is communicated within the idea of the two mountains in that one of these mountains is physical and limited to a season within history while the other represents a heavenly kingdom both spiritual and eternal so by contrast the mountain we have come to which is being called mount zion represents a new way to relate to god which is better because it is unlimited eternal and global meaning that it can happen anywhere And for the record, those who try to localize God to a literal Mount Zion today miss this point along the way. We no longer are required to travel to some specific temple or a specific mountain or to walk through a specific set of rituals to get to God. We no longer need a priesthood or prophets to help us relate to God because in the person of the Holy Spirit, God speaks to any who have the faith to hear. Now, our relationship with God can happen anywhere and everywhere we go. We are no longer dependent upon specific places. That is a big part of what God is saying is better about Mount Zion over Mount Sinai. Now, let me share a couple thoughts in this regard. First, I would encourage some modern Christians to stop worrying so much about literal Jerusalem and literal Mount Zion, where the temple used to be, but where there is now a mosque. If you think that the end times require all of that to change and everything is going to happen around the physical location in that literal place, I would encourage you to think again. This limited and literal kind of thinking sells a lot of books, but it does not fit with the clear New Testament teaching that God has moved far beyond a literal temple on a literal mountain in a literal city. The Bible is clear that when Jesus returns, every eye will see all over the earth. How is that physically possible? Well, it isn't. When Jesus comes back somehow supernaturally, the whole earth will see. If you want to prove this in scripture, simply read through the fourth and fifth chapters of first Thessalonians. Folks, if I think the literal Mount Zion, as they're calling it in literal Jerusalem, where the temple used to be is where everything's going to go down. Let me tell you something. I'll be moving there tomorrow. I'll be camping out on Jerusalem's holy hill, just hoping to catch the spectacle when it finally happens, if that's how it is. But no, that's not the way things work in the new covenant. From our text today, you should understand that the return of Christ and even His current presence through the Holy Spirit is not limited to such narrow, temporal thinking. The second observation I would like to make is that neither this building where we meet today, nor any building anywhere is now the temple of God. The temple is now your body. If you know Christ, sometimes people still refer to church buildings or gathering places as the house of God. And I get, I get that to a point, but the Bible says God does not dwell in buildings made with hands. I do understand the sentiment that place matters. That's true. A gathering place for the assembly, the church, is important and very helpful. That said, we need to be careful not to return to old covenant thinking when it comes to the place where we meet, whether now or in any building we may build in three or 10 or 20 years. A church building can be a nice tool, but that is all in the world it is. We can worship and serve God anywhere, and that means that we do not come here in this place to find Him on Sunday mornings, as as if He lived here. No, in the new covenant, God goes with us everywhere we go. We might even say He is Go Church. Think about that one. Spiritually speaking, God is the church on the go. We are the body of Christ, called to go into all the world and make disciples. The church is not a building. To be clear, there is no substitute for the worship that happens when we gather as a church. In fact, the word church, ecclesia, means assembly. But the bigger point is that because of Christ, God is with us now everywhere. Look for God in temples no longer. He does not dwell in buildings made of wood and stone and plastic. Similarly, we no longer need to keep our distance from God, like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, but rather that same holy God who killed some of them for coming too near is now right by our side, and more, who dwells within those who know Him. We have not come to a place like Mount Sinai, but instead we have come to the eternal city of God, and indeed those of us who have trusted in Christ are already citizens of His heavenly kingdom. Now, our relationship with God happens everywhere. What an incredible blessing earned for us by our mediator, Jesus Christ, that takes us to the second truth statement I want to draw out of these verses, which is this. A better relationship with God is not based on fear. From verse 20, for they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it'll be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Contrast this with verse 28, which says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So I understand that there are different types of fear and that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But rather than splitting hairs, please understand that there is a big difference between the fear and trembling of Moses and the kind of reverence and awe that should be prevalent within the church of jesus christ why is it different because theirs was a shakeable kingdom and ours is not theirs was more of a hope for something good ours is assurance of an eternal inheritance see the old method of relating to god looked forward to unfinished business while our method is already completely finished on the cross we've not come to that old way of fear and trembling But we have come to the new way of grateful service to our awesome and holy Lord and Savior. To better understand this, let's rewind to a couple verses from earlier in the book of Hebrews. Because I want to review this, one of the greatest themes of the book, which is basically that in Christ we can draw near to God without fear. And I won't be able to take time to rehash these verses in depth, but I do want to simply read them. First from Hebrews 4, starting with verse 14. starting with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, saying about that this morning, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 19 says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, this was an unbearably radical statement to the Hebrews. The holy place, the holy of holies in the tabernacle, later the temple is the place where God's presence was manifested during the time of the old covenant. God chose to localize his presence in some mysterious way over the ark of of the covenant within his tabernacle, which later became the temple. In the minds of the people, this place was where God lived. And do you know what happened if someone like you or me stepped foot in this place? Do you know what happened when people drew near to God in this place where he lived? Or especially if they touched the ark of his covenant, of his presence, they dropped dead. Even if it was an accident, they died. I don't think most of us begin to fathom the liberty that is being granted to us when we read verses like, let us draw near with confidence. Let us boldly approach the throne of grace. We have no clue what grace we have received. When this new way to relate to God became available, those Jews who were still committed to the old way, who did not understand or embrace God's grace in Christ, fought against this so hard that they imprisoned and called for the execution of those who dared to believe it. They thought they were defending the honor and holiness and presence of God. First century Jews tore their robes and threw ashes on their heads over such ideas. And they would have accused us all of blasphemy worthy of death. To think that a man, to say nothing of a woman, could draw near to God. Outrageous but we have not come to their old ways we have come to something infinitely better we have come to what jesus earned for us and that is the privilege and the confidence to approach god not on the basis of our own righteousness but on the basis of his our relationship with god is no longer marked by fear because christ is enough his blood was enough Now, is there still to be reverence and awe in our attitude toward God? Of course, and we see that in our text. But we do not fear being struck dead, do we? We do not come to God in terror. We come by grace through faith in Christ and His atonement for our sin. And listen very carefully. It is not that God has changed, nor did He change the rules. No, God is as holy as ever, and He should be no less terrifying in the eyes of sinful, unrepentant, unforgiven mankind now than he was then. No, it is not God who has changed. But rather it is that through Christ, God stands ready to change us. In Christ we become his children, made holy, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, the one who died for our sin. By grace through faith in him we are covered, we are forgiven, our sins are paid for. This is why those who have received this gift may now draw near to God, not in terror, but even with boldness. (laughs) I'm not sure there's anything more frightening than an earthquake. (laughs) Very few people have experienced a major earthquake wherein cracks open in the ground, buildings come crashing down. But movie-worthy earthquakes do actually happen. And those who experience such a quake typically testify that it is the most terrifying experience imaginable. Part of the reason for the terror of earthquakes is that there is literally nowhere to go for safety. With a fire or a tornado, you might have a chance to get to safety. But with an earthquake everywhere you go, devastation follows. There is no escape. The worst earthquake I have experienced was very minor, but I was still quite shaken by the experience I was on a mission trip in Nicaragua. Several of us described the strangeness of seeing the ground make waves. Still freaks me out just thinking about it. For a second or two, I thought the ceramic tile flooring had become fluid. And to this day, I have no idea how that flooring did not turn to rubble. Were Were one of you? Were you both there? You all were there unreal. I'm not lying. I thought, how can a large area of concrete covered with ceramic tile make waves like an ocean and then be perfectly undamaged afterward? I even had a momentary thought that maybe the Zen Buddhists were right all along and uh, you know, nothing was real. You know? uh, it was a truly shaking experience. I was indeed shook up. Look back at verse 28, 29 once more. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let this sink in. The kingdom we have received from God cannot be shaken. Make no mistake. This earthly kingdom... uh, with which we are often so concerned can and will be shaken. And certainly even literal earthquakes are prophesied to occur as we near the end. But that is not what matters most. What matters most is that this earth is not our eternal home, which is really good since it is falling apart. Listen, fellow believers, we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have nothing whatsoever to fear. Now look at that last line. Our God is a consuming fire. What is the meaning of this in context? These are the last words of this section of Scripture. And then notice also that the beginning of this passage, verse 18, reminds us that our spiritual ancestors came to the blazing fire of God. There's this, this is a fairly definitive passage of scripture and it begins and ends with the fire of God. Why? Let me say again that our God has not changed and we have fire in the first mountain. We have fire at the end when we're talking about the new way, our God has not changed. He burned things up when it came to the time of that first, the the old law. And he's going to burn things up uh, when it comes to the fulfillment of the second mountain and the new covenant and the church. God is holy, and His purifying fire will burn away the chaff and the dross and the sin and the evil, leaving nothing but what is pure and good and perfect. He will remove everything that can be shaken. He will burn away all that can be burned away. Only those things and those people who cannot be shaken or burned up will remain. As it says in 2 Peter 3.10, and following, God will literally melt the elements Of this place with intense heat. That's what it says. And what will be left when he is done is a new heaven and a new earth void of the curse of sin. What else will be left? The true church. Those who have truly been redeemed by Christ. Our God is a consuming fire. Now listen, this is not intended to take believers back around to fear again. We should not fear the fire like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, but rather, this is actually a positive for us. This is the path to paradise, folks, and it's the only way it can come again. The consuming fire of God is the refiner's fire, which ensures that one day you and I will no longer be faced with temptation and evil, nor will we live on an earth that is cursed by sin. Our fight with sin, self, and Satan will be over. Every single thing that is not of God will be burned away so that we can begin anew. Again, for those in Christ, this consuming fire of God is not one to fear, but rather is our hope for eternal glorification in a perfect paradise. We ought to long for that day when the old world will melt away and Jesus will make all things new. And someone astutely asked, what about our concern for those who don't know Christ? What about it? What are you doing about it? To harvest this white and ready, Jesus said. Where are the laborers? Who will go for us? Ask God. Here I am. Send me. We need to redeem the time for the days are evil. Back to the previous point, we're not to fear the consuming fire of God, but wait, who is we? That's pretty important to know. People who have a Savior in Christ do not need to fear the thing from which they have already been saved. He has promised to rescue us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. But if you're not sure you have his salvation, then sadly you have everything to fear in God and his fire. If you have not come into God's kingdom through Christ, then his fire should terrify you, no doubt. Without Jesus, in fact, you have worse than earthquakes and fire to fear. Ultimately, you have God to fear. And that takes me to the third truth from our text, which is this, a better relationship with God requires a response. Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. You know that song we sing about the blood of Christ speaking a better word than the blood of Abel? This is where it comes from. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than does the blood of the first person to die on this planet. Yes, Abel was the first to shed his blood and die. And in so doing, I think he represented the fact that all humans would eventually die. But the shed blood and death of Christ gives us hope for eternal life, a better word. Amen? That said, the Bible is clear that we are born with the blood of Abel, Abel uh, ultimately of Adam, but also of Abel in our veins. We are cursed by this old blood. Transaction must be made if we're to receive the gift earned for us by the shed blood of Christ. The word of his blood has been spoken. It's being spoken today, and you are here and hearing it, but have you really heard it? Have you received it? Or have you refused it? What is God asking of you? The verses we just read contain the answer. I believe these words are the most important part of this text and this message. Why? Because this is the part where you have to do something. This is the application. The new covenant, a better covenant than the old one, is a promise. This is the new deal offered to us by God. And to be clear, the new deal is but the fulfillment of the old deal. That is the completion of it, meaning that in the old covenant, there was a looking forward to what Jesus would eventually do. This new deal or this new promise is that we can have peace with God with no fear of judgment. What makes it new, among other things, is that on this side of the cross, God's promises, His promise has already been kept. The only thing left for us to do now is receive God's kept promise. And we do that by faith. Now, as I've already said, those who have the gall to reject God's promise or ignore it will not escape, which is why God's word is so clear, saying, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Listen, folks, God still speaks today. The Holy Spirit speaks to men and women. And one of the primary things he says is this, repent and put your trust in Jesus. He is speaking and he is saying, Come to me and receive salvation. God says, turn away from your sin of unbelief and let me save you. Let me save your soul. This is not just the message of the church. This is not just the message of the Bible. This is not just the message of preachers and evangelists and friends who really care about you. This is the message of God. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. If you are an adult and you have never accepted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, I can almost guarantee that you have already refused Him. You know it and I know it. You have ignored or rejected God. I'm willing to bet on this because of His love for you. That God has spoken to you before but you have refused Him. For some, it may even be too late. What? I know, I know. This is not a popular statement. But it is a clear message that we have found in the book of Hebrews, a warning to be heeded. To be clear, I never ever would declare this to be the case for any individual on earth, because I don't know. But according to chapter 6 and chapter 10 and a couple of other spots in Hebrews alone, there is a point when the heart is too hard and a person can no longer respond to the still small voice of the holy spirit why is it important to understand this seldom taught truth i'll tell you exactly why because if people always think they're going to have chance after chance after chance what do they do listen even if you don't think i'm right on this the point is the same see that you do not refuse him who is speaking I doubt you would be with us today if you had rejected God to the point of a hopelessly hard heart. I just doubt you'd be here. But I don't know how many more chances you will get. So I beg you once more, see that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Did you know that you can refuse God? Did you know that you have that power? Do I need to stop and make a theological case or can we just simply read our text for today? Yes, you can refuse to listen to God, and you can refuse to accept His gift in Christ. People have always been able to refuse God, and they have always done so. Those who refuse God will not escape the consequences. I once saw in a movie a religious discussion where an agnostic was saying, So let me get this straight. I have to receive Jesus, or else I go to hell. And the believer on the other end of the conversation was unsure what to say, but he should have simply said, yep. Modern thinkers typically rebel with animosity against this perceived ultimatum from God, but their arrogance changes nothing whatsoever. They might say, I could never believe in a God of such an arbitrary ultimatum. And in so doing, they make their choice to refuse the voice of God despite all of their self-assurance and self-determination to believe what they want to believe, they will not escape the truth of this reality. When you refuse God, He refuses you. This whole series, the entire book of Hebrews, have been about a better relationship that is available. This relationship is available with God by grace through faith in Christ. The offer is on the table God has come to you with this great gift. But listen, if you reject or ignore his offer, well, then you won't have it. If you fail to respond to God's offer of a better relationship through Christ and you suffer the consequences of not having it, who will be to blame? I'm practically certain that you have heard the voice of God at times in your life, offering this relationship to you? How many times have you put him off? How many times have you quenched the Spirit? Will you do so again today? Will you refuse the voice of him who is speaking again? Listen, my voice means little or nothing. Although Romans 10 does call for a preacher who will proclaim the good news in order for people to be saved. That said, I'm not a prophet, directly speaking for God. No, see, God no longer needs human prophets to be a spokesman, not as before anyway. Yes, He calls preachers and He calls all Christians to tell the good news. But we are not the voice of God. We are not. We are only heralds of information, but we are not His voice. We are imperfect. We are messed up, sometimes very badly. We do not always live by God's standards as we should, and you can refuse our voices all day long, but ours is not the voice that speaks to your heart today. Listen, that still, small voice in your heart is the voice of God. I implore you, see that you do not refuse him. Lastly, number four, a better relationship with God remains forever From verse 26, And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, one last time, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, And he goes on about what we need to do. Contained within these verses is what we call a near future prophecy. The idea is that there would be both a soon coming less universal fulfillment of this prophecy as well as a future universal fulfillment of it. See, at the time when this was written, the Jerusalem temple still stood. But very shortly thereafter, the temple was utterly destroyed. That was the nearer fulfillment of this text. And yet we also know that earthquakes are included in the Bible prophecies about the very last days surrounding the return of Christ. And obviously the author of Hebrews has in mind the future time since he envisions literally nothing remaining on this earth outside the kingdom of God. A shaking is coming, church family. Smaller shakings have happened if you pay attention, but the big one is coming. There will be phases to it, I think. Some of the shaking will be like birth pangs, minor warnings compared to what is coming. There will be wars and rumors of war and famine, earthquakes and fires, violence of every kind. Sin will run rampant until some people will come to hate everyone, including their parents. We see these things starting, but perhaps only the beginning. The shaking we are experiencing will continue until it increases to a level of destruction that leaves nothing temporal in its wake nothing that can be shaken will remain. Maybe you've already experienced a shaking at a level beyond most of us. Perhaps you've been a victim of violence or you've seen horrible tragedy and loss of life. Maybe you've faced spiritual attack in ways most of us have not. Whatever it is, you've experienced the shaking. Some of you have been through war. Some Christians in places far from here have seen hundreds of their brothers and sisters murdered for their faith in front of their eyes. How do you think the Christians in Syria and Turkey would feel about these words right now? Very, very real for them, huh? Some of them even saw temporary temples of various kinds, crumbled. Yes, the earth is passing away, and the whole of creation groans with anticipation in that regard. The whole earth is dying, and that's the truth. Global warming... Climate change, what you think about it, man-made or whatever, it doesn't really matter so much in light of what is coming. Make sure your eyes are on what matters most. Make your case for or against it. I don't really don't care. I'm tired of the argument. The earth is dying. Regardless, that doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of it. It's not my point. My point is that the earth is dying. You really think you're going to fix that? No. You're not. I mean, do you know kids today are like practically suicidal over this? Some of them? That's how much is put in their heads. It becomes, it becomes a religion. If we have to save the earth, again, I have no problem with reasonable, reasonably taking care of what God has given us. But since we know that the earth is dying, where will you find hope? Everything that we could see exists in a constant state of shaking. And it shakes in such a way that many things have already failed to endure. It's like open your eyes. Many things have already passed. Entire species of animals have gone extinct. Rainforests are disappearing, they say. The ice is melting, I suppose. Earthquakes are quaking. Floods are flooding. And fires are burning. At all times, every single hour of every single day, somewhere on this earth. Does any of this surprise God? No. And so the shaking continues and will only get worse until the climax of it all utterly destroys every last person, place, or thing that can be shaken. This is not a doomsday prediction, but a statement about what is already happening. This is not intended to cause fear unless you are unsure of your salvation. Folks, the shaking that has begun and that is coming must not instill terror in those who have a relationship with God in Christ. We're we're with Him. We're good. We're people of faith destined to be rescued To be clear, the fact that the shaking will only get stronger does not cause me to dig out a shelter or stockpile food, nor is this a good reason for me to buy more guns. Not that I might not have tried it, but for me, (laughs) this coming to an end, this shaking is a reason to keep on doing three things. Repenting, redeeming, and rejoicing. <laughs> and everybody says, is he going to go into another sermon within a sermon? No, I'll save it for another time. Redeeming, repenting, redeeming, and rejoicing. This earth is not our home. This place is cursed. Evil reigns here. Prince of the power, the air roams freely, and I'm ready for that to be over. The earth is the devil's playground, but not for long. Not for long, church. Not for long. This shaking is coming, and when it is finished, only the kingdom of God will remain. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. Let the kingdom of God and of his Christ come. Can you genuinely say that with me today? I mean, really? Really? I'm called by God to tell you the truth from His Word. And I'm here today to warn some of you, but also to encourage others with this truth. The shaking is coming, it is getting stronger. Can you feel it? All evil will be removed. There will be no more wars, no more abortions, no more sexual immorality, no more murders and violence and hate, no more racism. These things will be burned away completely. Climate change will no longer be an issue in a place where there is no sun, but only the light of glory emanating from Christ. This dying earth and every believer's dying body will be transformed into unimaginable, perf- unimaginable perfection. And in the end, everything that rests in Jesus will remain. There'll be a shaking like we've never imagined, but when it is over, Father, Son, and Spirit, the angelic beings, and every last one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ will remain. Sometimes people accuse preachers of trying to scare people into heaven. And I like the way Bevan put it a couple weeks ago, if you don't know Jesus, your house is on fire. How can I claim to love you and not try to help you get the heck out of the house? I could've actually said hell and it would've been like a literal kind of a thing. How can I not try to help you come out of your house that's on fire? (laughs) What if it's true? What if God's word has it right? Then all the arrogant, overeducated, naturalistically indoctrinated Bible deniers are wrong? What if the voice you've heard throughout your life really is God? What if God has spoken to you? What if God really is asking you to accept His Son as your Savior? Because of love, I would ask you to see to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Pray with me. Father, you do speak. I remember, well, I, I, I remember the first time that I remember you speaking to me. I was about four years old. Maybe five, I don't know, four or five. And I remember the overwhelming conviction about my sin don't even know if I knew to call it that or not but I knew I was not okay with you and I remember a year later or so when I could understand it enough to surrender to Christ and I remember the peace that I felt and the forgiveness that washed over me And you've been speaking to me ever since. God, I pray for that one or two or five or ten in this room right now who have never really accepted your voice, have never responded. Maybe it's been a, a full-on rejection. Maybe it's been, a, I'm just going to put that off, ignoring it. God, this, we don't know how much time we have could be somebody's last chance today. I, I don't like to get manipulative at all, but I do want to give an opportunity. If someone has heard from you, if they haven't just heard from me today, if they've just heard from me, forget it. But if somebody has really heard from you today and your voice is speaking, Lord, that, that they would not refuse you, I pray. Speak clearly, Lord. As you draw, we respond. Pray someone responds today and just says yes. Thank you. And I just glorify you, God, that at least three people have done so in the last couple weeks in our church. And I just pray for for more, Lord. uh, We don't know. The shaking has definitely begun. I pray someone would just respond today with a yes. It really is you that does it. We just have to accept the gift. So I pray someone would say yes today. Yes to Jesus. Yes to your, your way of salvation. Just stop thinking maybe it can be all these other ways or whatever and just hear God today. You died. You came. You died. You rose again. God, you did. The one who created it all. That, that's all the way we need. No other way matters pray someone will just surrender that today. God, thank you for the time we've had as a church, the growth we've experienced that we probably don't even know, um, the spiritual growth. Um, it's not just information that we've learned, but you use your word like food and water and change us. I pray those changes stay with us, remain permanent, that we would understand the new way, the grace that we have. And it would change our hearts and our lives, and even the way we approach others. Understanding they don't need to change before they come to you. They just need to come. Thank you for your gospel today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.